This is a big weekend for many college students. They have been working and studying and reading and memorizing and then taking exams in hopes of passing them to arrive at a point where they walk across a stage wearing, wearing an inexpensive black gown and an annoyingly tasseled mortarboard. Graduation, with all its traditions, is an important rite of passage. It signals a transformation from one stage of life to another. Well, today's scripture passage is like a graduation. It signals one stage of life, a passing from one stage of life to another. Though the accounts of Jesus' ascension at the end of Luke and then at the beginning of Acts differ slightly, scholar Luke Timothy Johnson writes, What matter? What matter if the details are various or the order is not entirely the same? This part of the story is scarcely the stuff of scientific history, no matter how it is told. The subject, after all, is that of spiritual transformation and empowerment. So we'll focus on three transformations. One transformation is of Jesus. The disciples ask him, hopefully, whether this is the time that he will restore the kingdom. Their view of power was skewed, as ours sometimes is. We give power to actors and singers and athletes. We give power to the advertising industry when we let them tell us what we need. This Tuesday is the day for local elections, and of course the presidential election is approaching quickly, though not as quickly as we'd like, probably. So exercise your right to vote, because we give a lot of power to politicians. The disciples wanted Jesus to create a political kingdom on earth, where the Jews were in control for a change, no longer oppressed. But that wasn't the kingdom that Jesus was creating. Jesus' transformation was a rise to spiritual kingship as one who would rule our hearts and spirits for the benefit of all. And it was a rise. It's portrayed as a rise into the cloud and ascension. Jesus was transformed even if not as expected. The disciples are transformed. After the rabbi, their teacher, left them, the writer of Acts says the disciples just stood there. I picture them sort of gape-mouthed with blank, disbelieving eyes, staring at the sky, perhaps as you would have stared at an airplane taking off with your favorite person inside. You know they have to go, but you really wish the plane would turn around and come back out of the sky so they could be back standing beside you because you feel incomplete without them. Some misbehaving dogs have to be snapped out of their misbehavior 
with a sharp sound or command. I know that from personal experience. And that's what Luke seems to be describing, something that had to snap the disciples back out of this gazing into the sky as if they're frozen, you know, like on stage. They're just frozen. And so then these two men in white robes appear, messengers from God, we are to think. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And poof, there ends the reading. It seems kind of sudden. But it's a reminder, I think, of our tendency to stand where we are, to stay there, to watch and wait and watch and wait and never let the circumstances snap us back out to action to what we need to do. Yesterday on Route 11, a tractor trailer was perpendicular to the road and stretching across the four lanes of traffic. The truck's left back two wheels were like the mezzanine in a theater. They were stuck out over an open space so that when the driver gave it some gas, the wheels would just spin. He must have wanted so badly for those things to get traction. But at the point when we drove on the shoulder to get around him, it hadn't happened yet. I think sometimes we feel like that. Those back two wheels. just They're moving, but not accomplishing anything. So we're either accomplishing tasks that are a waste of time, or we're doing nothing at all. Not even praying. Just watching and waiting for the right thing to come along. It's hard to be Jesus' disciple. It's easier to be more like a doormat and let people walk across us. Just let things happen to us while we wait for Jesus to come back out of the sky. The combination of Jesus' words and the words of God's messengers had their needed effect. While it wasn't a part of today's reading, let's briefly note that the following verse in the Acts passage, verse 12, begins this way. Then they turned back to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, and they got to work. Jesus was transformed. The disciples were transformed The third and last candidate for transformation is you and me. It's each of us. We choose whether we will let this story of Jesus' ascension to spiritual power transform us. We choose whether we will let the disciples' movement to Jerusalem from the mountain to follow Jesus' command, help to transform us. Elisa Morgan is the president of MOPS International. MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. She writes that she's probably the least likely person to head a mothering organization. She grew up in a broken home. 
Her parents were divorced when she was five. So she and her brother and sister were raised by an alcoholic mother. And she knows that her mother meant well. But most of her memories are of mothering her mother and not being mothered by her mother. She says that alcohol altered her mother's love, turning it into something that wasn't love. She remembers her mother weaving down the hall of their ranch house with a glass of scotch in her hand. She remembers being awakened at 2 a.m. by her mother to find out whether she was asleep. And then the next morning at 7, waking up her mother to make sure that she got to work on time. She remembers good times too, like Christmases and birthdays when her mother went all out and celebrated them as children. But even those days ended with the warped glow of alcohol. What her mother did right was lost in what her mother did wrong. So it's been almost 20 years now when Elisa Morgan was asked to consider leading Mops International. And she says she went straight to her knees and then to the therapist's office. Asking, how could God use me, who had never been mothered, to nurture mothers? Her answer came as she gazed into the eyes of other moms around her and saw their needs mirroring her own. And she says, God seemed to take my deficits and make them my offering. And she reminds us of 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This season of Easter that we began celebrating on March 23rd and the celebration of Ascension and the celebration next week of Pentecost are expressions of the power of God to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. The power of God to use our weaknesses for divine power. Such grace. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think it helps to picture that. It grows and grows and grows. And then as this passage looks forward to Jesus' return, so do we, even as we gather around the table of communion today. We do this along with millions of other Christians around the world, remembering the bread that Jesus gave his disciples, remembering the wine that Jesus gave to his disciples, and the sacrifice that was to accompany that. That was another time of transformation. And so we seek transformation through prayer, through the study of this Bible. And through the sharing of this symbolic meal.